PFTOT, the extra show after we finish up PFT Live, because we have more to say. Three hours isn't enough, Chris, especially since I only have access to you for two hours. We have other things we want to talk about. In the airing of grievances segment today, we could have gone on and on and on. We only got to two of them. We have a couple that are left over, and I want to start today with something that happens every year just before the draft. We will find out the Wonderlick scores, that 50-question general intelligence test that has no relevance whatsoever to football. Someone's scores will be leaked, typically the quarterbacks, and the guys who get the low scores are the guys that we all say, oh, that guy's not very smart. I don't even look at the scores anymore when they are published. I don't care because it offends me that the NFL continues to allow these numbers to be publicized, and it continues to create a situation where Guys who may not even know they're showing up to take the test can have a score that is so low that they get made fun of unfairly and unnecessarily. And I say that as somebody who once made plenty of fun of guys who had low Wonderlick scores. Yeah, I, I mean, it's not a good look for the NFL, certainly. They, they got to they gotta fix these type of things. I mean, this is to me a little bit where, you know, the NFL doesn't hold themselves uh, to the stringent laws of, you know, the CBA or anything like that as compared to what they hold players and coaches to at times. You know, again, I get back to like, okay, uh, yeah, Wonderlick test scores getting out. Or, you know, people who might be in the drug program where it's not, you know, shouldn't be public information and that gets leaked out. Those type of scenarios, I don't think the NFL is harsh on itself and self-policing these type of things to where, you know, I look at this and, you know, the NFL, maybe they need to find out some new formula as far as how these Wonderlick scores go. Uh, I, I don't know if there's a better way that they can police it themselves to maybe where teams don't have quite the access across the board to what those scores are. Maybe only a GM gets it and the head coach. Something like that has to be done because, yeah, it's basically a smear campaign. Uh, this should not be made public information. These tests do not tell the whole story and truth about how smart of a guy is. Yeah, it might be one little piece of a puzzle. Okay, great. But as you, you've heard me say before, you know, the Wonderlick score a little bit can be the luck of the test you get. I took one test uh, illegally a team gave me when I was on college campus and I got like a 27 or a 28 and then I got to the combine and I got a list of vocabulary words during that part of the test that I just didn't know as well as the one I took the first time. And that's really what dictated my score at the, at the NFL Combine, where I think I got a 22 or a 23 there. And it was strictly just because I didn't know the vocabulary words the way I did in the first test I took. So just not a good look for the NFL overall, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, look, I've got plenty of issues with it. I don't think the test is relevant, but they continue to do it because they've always done it. And they are so obsessed with having apples to apples comparisons that will allow them for whatever reason to be able to choose. And I don't know why they care. We want to compare this year to last year to 1985, to 1962, it makes no sense to me that they continue to adhere to a flawed test and that they can't come up with a way. And you had some good ideas there restricting access, but I think they already do restrict access. But still, under that cloak of anonymity that allows people to leak things to reporters, and look, I respect anonymity all the time when it's topics that I feel like are relevant to be reported on, that's what gives the sources the ability 
to run those numbers to people in the media who want them. And I think the key is we need to, as a media, not want them. We, we need to be the adults in the room that say we're not going to traffic in this stuff. And I say that knowing that I used to, but I learned, I evolved, and I realized a lot of guys show up for the test and they have no idea that they're going to have the test. Exactly. They haven't prepared for it. They may have a learning disability. They, you know That 12 minutes goes by so quickly. You're not thinking about taking a test. You're thinking about the scouting combine. And, and for us, I mean, the, the, the first big moment where it even became an issue, Vince Young, the former Texas right. Longhorn, got a six, six initially, and then it was reportedly a seven, and then they let him take it again, and it was a 13. And, and, and that became a big deal. But look, I... I there are many reasons why someone would have a low score on the Wonderlick test. And, and I think that the NFL ideally needs to get rid of it. The next best plan would be ensure that the scores are properly protected. And if all else fails, maybe people in the media will just say, we don't care. We don't want the information. We don't need the information. I mean, it's not like we're trying to pick into the, the nooks and crannies of guys' medical files to see what you know, whether they had an STD at some point. I mean, and now, again, that's extremely irrelevant to the overall analysis, but it's not much less uh, irrelevant or much more irrelevant than the Wonderlick scores, no. Chris. No, and I think they're probably looking at STDs, too, if they can get that information. I mean, to be totally honest with you, yeah. I mean, some of this evaluation stuff is a little crazy, a little overboard. You know, to your point, too, you know, like, hey, the Wonderlick, yeah. I mean, I remember going into the room with the Wonderlick and talking to a handful of quarterbacks who, yeah, I've already kind of taken this test like five or six times. Or, you know, there was a guy, other guys who were like, oh, I even thought about the Wonderlick. This is the first time I'm doing it. So it's not apples to apples. You know, are there some numbers you get to where you get concerned about a player? Okay, yeah, a little bit. You know, if you're getting down there at the quarterback position and you are in single digits, yeah, all right, that might bring up a little bit of a red flag to go, okay, we just got to make sure this guy can process information the way we want. But it's not apples to apples there. Like I've told you, you know, I, you know, Rob Gronkowski, you know, in my, in my meetings with him and knowing him as a person, I wouldn't have exactly said he was the most intelligent person I ever met in my life. But damn, when we got an NFL meeting room in the tight end meeting room or he got on the football field, all of a sudden he was damn Albert freaking Einstein at tight end and he knew everything. So uh, it, just because you're good at taking a test or maybe some people aren't good at taking a test doesn't always mean you're good or not good at understanding football and, and being able to process that information. You touched on something there. I want to make one more point yeah. and we can move on. The idea that some guys had taken practice tests, other guys weren't even aware the test was going to be given. You know, a lot of it is luck of the draw depending upon what agent you hire because there are agents out there who have access to all of the tests, the actual tests, there are four or five different versions, and they give them to the guys ahead of time, they study them, and then they're ready to go when it's time to go take the test. And when that dynamic first was discussed at PFT and elsewhere, I had a scout tell me, I don't care if guys are cheating on the Wonderlick test because if they can remember what's in four or five versions of this test and regurgitate it when it's time to sit down and take the test, they can read and study and remember a playbook. And, you know, maybe that's what they should do. Maybe it should be some sort of a memory that where you have a take-home opportunity to study and then sure. you show up and you show what you can repeat. That's far more relevant to uh, life in the NFL than, than a general intelligence test that has no relevance or very limited relevance at best to yeah. what a guy's going to do. All yeah. right. 
we, we have some relevance or at least some information about what Kirk Cousins will do as a quarterback with the Minnesota Vikings because we got to see him play one of his three contractual years in 2018. And look, the numbers were great, but the wins weren't there. And Rick Spielman, the guy who signed Kirk Cousins last year, said yesterday at his pre-draft press conference, I've never seen a guy work at it as hard as Kirk does. He was the first one in the building for off-season workouts. He is nonstop all afternoon into that film room. There is no one as professional as Kirk Cousins is in the way he approaches this job. I don't doubt any of that. But ultimately, Chris, quarterbacks are judged not by how hard they work, but by what kind of results they get. And the results weren't there last year. And if they're not there this year, I don't know what the Vikings do. The money's fully guaranteed for 2020. I think they're just stuck with him for one more year in 2020. They hope it works out. And then he walks away and he signs with someone else. Yeah, well, they better put a better damn team around them. That's what they need to do. You know, again, um, Kirk Cousins is overpaid. I, I have no problem saying that. Yes, he is. I mean, he had at no point deserved to be top two or top three highest paid players in the NFL or highest paid quarterback or any of that. Uh, but the reality is that's the way the current quarterback market's going. The next guy up gets more money than the guy before, and that's so on and so on. But, yes, you know, that's what happens, though. And Kirk Cousins, I'm not going to feel bad for him because he made his own bed, and he did this, and he wanted to maximize and all for it. But, you know, he's got to be able to take the criticism because when you get paid like that, you're being paid to go, oh, you're the guy, and you should be able to take over the game in certain situations when things aren't going well, a la an Aaron Rodgers or a Russell Wilson, right, where we go, oh, they can't run, they can't pass protect, but these guys are so freaking amazing, they seem to make plays still, and it doesn't matter, and they're moving the ball down the field. Kirk Cousins is not that kind of guy. It's never going to be that kind of guy. He is a really good NFL quarterback. He's accurate. He has a good arm. He's smart. All of those things. But don't get fooled into thinking, oh, if there's bad pass protection or not a lot of guys are open down the field, he's not the type of talent that's going to be like, all right, guys, get on my back. Don't worry. I'll, I'll carry us home here. No, that's not what he's going to do. They had a crappy offense last year. That's why they fired John DeFilippo. Um, so there was no creativity there. They had no run game, and they had very bad pass protection. And those issues, of course, filtered to Kirk Cousins, who's not the most mobile guy in the world. But when when you have those three issues as a quarterback, you're going to lack. I get it. I wish the play was better too, but I can also sit here and go in losses in the, in late in the season at Seattle, at New England, at the Chicago Bears. I can remember watching those films going, damn, these defenses are all over Minnesota's stuff on the offensive side of the ball. And that's where it made it hard for Kirk Cousins this year. I understand it. He deserves the criticism because of the way he's being paid. I'm just played. I'm just trying to say it's not all about him. They got to help him ar around him because he's not the kind of guy that can just do it himself. And Chris, the death of Tony Sperano, the team's offensive line yeah. coach, a week or so before the opening of training camp, that right. was a major factor that doesn't get pointed to enough You're as right. the thing that kind of derailed the process before it ever got started. John Filippo trying to audition for a head coaching job, throwing the ball more than he was running the ball. 
and, and really with Cousins behind that offensive line, if you're going to have those flaws, it's not going to work because he doesn't have the mobility nope. to get away from the pressure like Case Keenum did. So this year, and, and hey, any doubt as to what the Vikings are going to do or should do with the 18th overall oh, pick, it's you need line. someone who can block yes. for Kirk Cousins. Otherwise, you're not going to get the most out of him, and we're going to be having the same conversation next year as to what in the world the Vikings were thinking when they paid him all that money. I'll agree with you there are other factors, but the bottom line is when you take that kind of a contract, yep. you step right into That's right. that zone of criticism if things don't work out. Speaking of big contracts, Ben Roethlisberger could get his latest one as soon as today. Now, the report from Ian Rappaport is he will be one of the highest paid players in the NFL, which means he's not getting more than Russell Wilson. He may not get more than Aaron Rodgers. He fit between, I think, or was just behind. He was just behind Rodgers and Wilson on his last contract. Maybe he ends up just behind the two of them on this one. I mean, my my, my idea for him is somewhere between 30 and 32. Does that sound right? I, I think so. Yep, I'm, I'm with you there all the way. I think those are the numbers that came to my mind as well. Right there in, you know, Matt Ryanville, right? Maybe they one-up Matt Ryan a little bit because it's two years after the fact that Matt, or at least a year after the fact that Matt Ryan got a new contract. Uh, yeah, something's that way. I, I would hope that Big Ben wouldn't want to be the highest paid quarterback in football at this point you know I would hope that he would go you know what I can take I've made a lot of money and I've been kicking butt here as far as my bank accounts concerned I'll take a little less and hey go out there and get me another receiver or something like that but I think that's fair you know certainly deserves to, to have more money than Kirk Cousins I think he's a better player than Kirk Cousins is right now right at this point even though Ben Roethlisberger's older uh, I think then this year next year his potential is still better than a Kirk Cousins and right up there with a Matt Ryan if not better as well so uh I'm, I'm with you I say right in that 31 32 range Mike and, and I think a lot of people will be shocked by that but remember the salary cap keeps going up and up and up and the Steelers have consistently paid Ben Roethlisberger at or close to market value they have not done Tom Brady type deals with him they've always taken care of him and he's never really clamored for more I think I think it's a, it's a good sweet spot for him and uh, who knows how many more years he's going to play but he's not a guy who has spoken about retirement recently and he seems to be willing to stick around for a few more years Aaron Rodgers sticking around for a few more years in Green Bay he got that big contract last year new head coach this year Chris and Rodgers is praising Matt LaFleur's messaging to the team I want to read the quote to you I think the great thing about Matt is it's been very clear messaging he's been great in front of the room it's forward focus it's about building today for a better tomorrow all right look I I think that's fair I think that's appropriate but with Aaron Rodgers we're at a point where anything he says gets scrutinized and when I hear him say or when I read his words that Matt has had very clear messaging, and he's been great in front of the room. I can't help but wonder how aware is Rodgers of the concern that Matt LaFleur may not be able to take over the room, and how much of it is Rodgers trying to help prop this guy up? And if so, that's good for Rodgers. Right. But I feel like we're at the point where everything Rodgers says is going to be picked over and scrutinized for any evidence of passive-aggressive or some meaning other than the words on paper. Yeah, I mean, yes. And I think he's probably aware of that. He knows that. He's an extremely intelligent person, as we've seen. There's no doubt about that. So, uh, yes, I, I'm sure he might be a hair, you know, overly positive with his praise just to make sure things don't get mixed up there. But, you know, 
To me, the clear messaging, messaging, uh, you know, the forward focus, just being great in front of the room. I think those things too. He's just talking about. I think those are the things that are going to jump out about him, Matt Lavoir. You know, he's he's got a good charisma around the football players. He's young. He's got energy that way. Okay. And the other thing too, I think you know, within his offense, which is a lot like McVay or Kyle Shanahan's, is you know, there's no there's no gray area. And I think that's the thing that Aaron Rodgers is going to like. As a quarterback, you hate gray area, right? Where you know, oh, well, we're going to run this play against this defense, but if they play this defense, ooh, I don't love this play. Okay, well then tell me what play you do love and I'll get to it because I don't want to hear that. Oh, we like this play against this defense, but oh, this de- this team plays another defense too and you don't like it against that? Well, give me some freaking answers or give me rules that need to be changed according to what the defense has played. I think those are the things that Aaron Rodgers is going to like about Matt LaVour's offense and, and Nathaniel Hackett. They're, they're going to answer all his questions when he goes, well, wait, what, is, what about what do I do when the defense breaks? this blitz they're going to have an answer for him right away and I think that's what he means by clear messaging he's got the answers to the test he knows what's going on as a quarterback that's when you feel comfortable to go oh look at this I'm walking to the line of scrimmage and I feel prepared for everything they're going to do when I'm in this formation and this play is called and that's when greatness can bubble to the top that's that's how a, a a Tom Brady feels every time he walks to the line of scrimmage because he's been coached diligently and smartly and knows he's got the correct answers to the test. Not all that long ago, Aaron Rodgers said, there's no grace period here. There's no scholarship, no red shirt. You have to get right to it. And he applied that to the players, but it also applies to the coaches. And I think it is fair to monitor this relationship between Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur because of the relationship that existed between Rodgers and Mike McCarthy and will LaFleur challenge Rodgers, but also satisfy him in a way that McCarthy hadn't in recent years. All right, one more before we wrap up today's PFTOT. Marshawn Lynch, done with football apparently, although with Marshawn Lynch you can never rule it out. Is he a Hall of Famer in your opinion, Chris? This is a tough one. I do think he is a Hall of Famer, yes. And, you know, I look at it, he's 29th all-time in rushing yards, so not necessarily something that's going to just, you know, ring Hall of Fame at the very base level there. Uh, Hey, but you also got to take into account, he was drafted by the Buffalo Bills, was part of a few teams there that weren't necessarily all that special. Um, So that hurt him. He missed a year in football. You know, he sat out a year. He comes back with a new team. That kind of hurts his bottom line stats when all said and done with this whole conversation. But to me, he is uh, one of the best running backs of this generation and has so many big moments or, or big plays in big moments of football games that I think that will get him over the edge and eventually into the Hall of Fame. But uh, yeah, I mean, Marshawn Lynch was special to the fact when teams played the Seattle Seahawks in their prime, you went, ooh, first thing we got to do is how are we going to stop Marshawn Lynch uh, from coming downhill and, and busting our defense wide open for five and 10 and five and 10, oh, 20 and five more. Uh, he was special. I say he is a Hall of Famer. What say you, Florio? Well, I'm looking at the guys ahead of him, and I'm wondering how we put him in and continue to leave them out, like a Ricky Waters who has more rushing yards 
than Marshawn Lynch. Tiki Barber, whose name from time to time comes up as a possibility along those lines. A lot of these guys in front of him, though, don't have that Super Bowl ring, and I think that means something. The Super Bowl appearance, the Super Bowl performance, the Super Bowl championship, that helped get a lot of guys from the Steelers of the 1970s in, specifically a Lynn Swan, who otherwise didn't have the numbers to get into the Hall of Fame. So I think that it's difficult to balance putting Lynch yeah. in while leaving out some of these other guys who you could argue should be in. And I'd almost like to see him have another thousand yards, yeah, another, right. uh, you know, another 10 spots higher, maybe get in front of OJ Simpson and get to number 20 on the all time list. I'd yep. feel better about it, but here's the, here's the easy analysis for this. Who else from this era is going to be a serious hall of fame contender, Adrian Peterson, Maybe LaShawn McCoy on think, the fringes on I the borderline. Think so. Yeah, I think he's in that conversation. You're right, and I know. And then you, I know you talk about Frank Gore. You think he deserves to be in. I'm one that thinks he's on the fringe and shouldn't be in. Uh, Marshawn, this is the other thing I'll say about Marshawn. I kind of said it, and you brought up like Ricky Waters or anything like that. The difference to me there is Marshawn was the go-to guy for his offense where teams played Seattle and they said, we got to stop Marshawn Lynch. Where Ricky Waters, they went, wait, we got to stop Jerry Rice and Steve Young and, oh, they got all these other players. Oh, yeah, and we got to stop Ricky Waters. That's right. Uh, so to me, that's the difference between a Marshawn Lynch and maybe some of the other guys that you've talked about, even a Tiki Barber who had Jeremy Shockey's and other good players around him to where they weren't enemy numbers number one to the team they were playing. That's maybe where I give Marshawn the edge a little bit, but I'm with you. Extra thousand yards really would have gone a long way for him in this conversation. And, you know, I remember when Art Monk was struggling to get into the Hall of Fame, the knock on him was we never game planned against him. We never double teamed him. I mean, and you're right. The guys who tilt the field, the guys who, when it's time to come up with your defensive game plan, who's the guy you're trying to take away. And in that Seattle offense, you're trying to take away Marshawn Lynch because he had that knack right. for having that one big run. He had a very good sense of timing and drama and stage and moment, and he would author those incredible runs at the best possible time. Here's how I'm going to resolve this. Okay. Super Bowl 49. Yep. If uh. they give the ball to Marshawn Lynch uh. and he scores the touchdown uh. and they win that game, uh. right? Yes. Is he a Hall of Famer? Slam dunk. He's probably the MVP right. of that Super Bowl, too. Then, he, then he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Because it wasn't his fault that he didn't get a chance to do what everyone thinks he would have done. That's exactly that right. Yeah, that is fair. I think that's a really good way to put it. You're right. It's not his fault that the dumb offensive coordinator called a predictable pass that they run all the time down there after he just mashed it up the middle for yards and yards on that same drive. Uh, that still doesn't get me. Uh, that's still a head scratcher for me. Yeah, and if you are going to pass, at least pass out of run formation, not shotgun, where you've shown them the exact look. That's it, folks. If you're going to play the Patriots in a Super Bowl, l learn from what these other teams have learned the hard way. Mix up the stuff exactly. that you've previously done. They're going to know what you're doing before you do it as exactly. evidence. If, if, there was, if there was not evidence of it before that play, Chris, anybody after Super Bowl 49 is on notice. Change your stuff up because they're going to know what's coming. And that's why the Eagles beat them exactly in Super Bowl right, 52. Mike. Right. Exactly. That's why the Giants beat them twice. I mean, you know, right? I mean, 2007, you know, that I've heard 
heard Brady and the Patriots talk about it. I mean, Steve Spagnuolo threw defenses at the Brady and McDaniels that they hadn't seen all year to where they were like, what the hell is this? I don't know this coverage. I've never seen this blitz. Whoa, that was a creative way to do it. If you think you're going to go into the game status quo against New England Patriots, they're going to know your game plan every bit as good as you know it. That's how special they are at preparing. So one last question completely off the board. As it relates to Super Bowl 53, was it that Sean McVay and the coaches weren't ready for the Patriots or was it that the players weren't able to execute? No, I, I, I will put the blame more on Sean McVay on this one. I will. Now, the players, there was certainly some plays that they could have executed. We talked about Jared Goff at the start of our show today and everything like that where, yes, if he makes a few plays and throws, the dynamic of the game does get changed, certainly, and maybe the offense for the Rams going. But I still, and I love Sean Sean McVay, and you know this, and if he's watching, I want to make sure he's very clear that I think he's the man. But yes, I was underwhelmed by his Super Bowl game plan, and that's why I'm pumped to see what Sean McVay has this year because I think he's got to somewhat reinvent himself this year because it's been two years of him being awesome on offense where teams are going to study them and figure out some of the tricks of the trade of what they like to do in certain situations and in certain formations. First of all, let me just say one thing to yes. Sean McVay. If you are watching right now, the draft's tomorrow night, dude. What the hell are you doing? Why are you listening <laughs> to a couple of idiots like us? And second, a point that someone made to me uh, the, the other day when we were talking about Super Bowl 53, if you tell the Rams before that game starts that they're going to they're gonna hold the Patriots to 13 points, the Rams are already designing the Super Bowl ring. I mean, that is the biggest shocker coming out of Super Bowl 53. It All right, is. we're out of time. Yeah. we got to run. Great stuff as always. I'm glad you're back safely from your assignment. Your assignment for the next two days is be ready to go because you're working Thursday and you're working Friday, and we're going to be all over it as the draft arrives on Thursday night. Chris, have a great day, buddy. You too, man. I'll be ready, Bob. Don't you worry.